The message today is 100% about the faithfulness of God and a question upon the faithfulness in our hearts towards the Lord. I don't think I need to remind any of you about the damage of unfaithfulness. I don't know anybody in America that hasn't been touched by unfaithfulness somewhere. It's either in your life, you were the one or you were the one that was left or it was a parent, or it was a child, or it was a brother, or it was a sister, or it was a close friend. We've all felt the impacts on what unfaithfulness can do to destroy people. We cannot take this lightly. God, as He calls us to Himself, He says, I will be faithful to you. Will you be faithful to me? Take out the handout sheet that was given to you at the front door and we can begin. Today is the last part in Joshua. We're closing up the book today. We'll be all done with it. I hope that you've been here for the whole series. If you have not, then of course it's free download or podcast online. You can grab all that stuff. Make sure to kind of catch up with us. Uh, we will be starting the book of First Peter next week. So we got a brand new series that we're going to dive into. It's incredibly exciting. But I hope that Joshua has been a blast for you as well. So we are going to cover chapters 23 and 24 today. We're going to be flying through it with the limited time that we have. And I entitled today's message, Till Death Do Us Part, speaking of faithfulness. The fill in the blank in front of you, I want to resonate in your souls as you hear the message today, which is this. God sees Christians as his bride. Do you? God sees Christians as his bride. The question is, do you see it that way? The Bible uses marital metaphors consistently speaking of God and his people. He says, if you turn from me and go to some other God, you are cheating on me. You are unfaithful to me. And that's a big deal. Have you allowed that to soak down in your heart and to see that you are married to God in all that that means? For some of us, we've never even considered it. So let's consider it today. Turn with me to the book of Joshua, chapter 23. If you don't have a Bible, raise your hand. We have Bibles waiting for you. Uh, we'll bring them to you. You don't have to get up. All you have to do is raise your hand and we'll bring one to you. I'll give you the page number on where to turn to. We're just going to be in the book of Joshua today. I'll be reading a little bit of some other passages, but largely you'll only be reading along with me in one book. Joshua chapter 23, verse 1, in the Bible is being handed to you. It's page 168. 168, Joshua chapter 23. Now I'm just going to read the first five verses. We'll pray for the word and then we'll see what God has for us. It says, after a long time had passed and the Lord had given Israel rest from all their enemies around them, Joshua, by then old and well advanced in years, summoned all Israel, their elders, leaders, judges, and officials, and he said to them, I am old and well advanced in years. You yourselves have seen everything the Lord your God has done to all these nations for your sake, for it was the Lord, your God, who fought for you. Remember now how I have allotted as an inheritance for your tribes all the land of the nations that remain, the nations I conquered between the Jordan and the great sea in the west. Lord your God himself will drive them out of your way. 
He will push them out before you, and you will take possession of their land, as the Lord your God promised you. Boy, that sure sounds nice. God is faithful. He's going to get it done. There shouldn't be any problem, right? If God's going to do his part, what could possibly go wrong? Oh, that's right. Our hearts. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for today. Thank you for a walk through history. And to be able to see your hand move and course through and weave this tapestry that is our existence. We pray right now, Lord, that it would soak in and that it would matter to us, that it would not be academic, but it would be transformational. We pray, Lord, that we would have hearts that are faithful to you, committed to you, loyal to you. Change us today in Jesus' name. Amen. After a long time had passed, it says, how long? Well, at least 25 years from where we were at the last time in the story. So after a long time had passed and the Lord had given Israel rest from all their enemies around them. And indeed, one commentary said rest was the goal of the conquest. And I love that idea. What was the point of all the fighting? What was the point of all the hardship? What was the point of all the struggle? Rest. Jesus Christ went through the cross that you might rest. Are you resting in him? The Lord had given Israel rest from all their enemies around them. And then Joshua, by then old and well advanced in years, how old does he have to be to be well advanced in years? We know he's at least a hundred years old. Now remember, these guys are pretty tough. They're still doing a lot of stuff. They were out there settling lands, moving stuff, building stuff, and they're 100 years old. So this is pretty decently amazing. Here we go. He summoned all of Israel, their elders, leaders, judges, and officials, meaning representatives of the tribes, clearly not everybody, because he's either going to have this meeting at Shiloh, where the Ark of the Covenant is, or he's going to have it at home, and you cannot invite the whole nation to your house for lunch. You cannot, well, because there's four million people. And I don't know how big your house is, but my house ain't that big. And you know what? It's very awkward to try to coordinate appetizers, right? And to go, I need you to bring something. Everyone brought a dessert. Great. And then it's like, what? Four million desserts. So he's likely going to meet with the representatives of the nations, and then they will all come and then bring that message back to their people. And he said to them, I am old and well advanced in years. You yourselves have seen everything the Lord your God has done to all these nations for your sake. For it was the Lord your God who fought for you. All right, that's really important. Because remember, he was the commander of Israel. So everyone's looking to him. All victory, they're going to look at him. It was not him. It was God. It was always God. So as a great leader, he says, before we get started, I'm going to talk about some wars that I won. That's true. But I need you to know it's always been God who fought for you. And when I'm gone, God still remains. There's no change. Right? Do you all understand that's the exact same thing that occurs in this church? Right? A lot of people will go, man, it's really great. And, and Lance, uh, you've been there and the church has really grown under your leadership. And they start attaching it to me. It's got nothing to do with me. This is a God thing. That's his own business. And when I'm gone at some point, 
of which I have no plans to do, but God may decide to hit me with a bus. I don't know. But if I'm gone at some point, God remains. Nothing has changed. It's always been God. It was God from the beginning. It'll be God in the end. It's the way it works. He said, now, it was God who fought for you. But then it says, remember how I have allotted as an inheritance for your tribes all the land of the nations that remain. Meaning everything that's left, all the fights that are left to do. The nations I conquered between the Jordan and the great sea in the west. That is the Mediterranean Ocean. The Lord your God himself will drive them out of your way. Meaning the ones that are left, God will drive them out. He will push them out before you. And you will take possession of their land as the Lord your God promised you. So therefore, he says in verse 6, be very strong. Well, that's kind of a weird command. Either I'm strong or I'm not. Right? Isn't that how we feel? God, you're asking too much of me. This is a command. I want you to be very strong. Well, you go, well, I wasn't born strong. What does he mean? He means trained to be strong. Set your mind, change your mindset, lock in your focus. Be very strong in the Lord. Be locked in with faith. Know what God says. Know why God says it. Have the foundation laid out so that you are not moved, so that you are stable. Be very strong. Determine today to be strong, that you will not be moved. Be very strong, he said. Be careful to obey all that is written in the book of the law of Moses without turning aside to the right or to the left. What does that mean? It means the power is in obedience to the word. Do you know what the word says? If you know what it says, are you obeying it? If you obey the word of God, there is power in that. Because it's God's will for your life. Do not associate with these nations that remain among you. This is the first clear non-warfare mandate to not mix with the nations that live there. This is very, very important. This will be the undoing of all of Israel. Do not intermingle with them. Do not invoke the names of their gods. Do not swear by their gods. And you go, well, what are you talking about? Why would they do that? Well, let's make it practical. Do not integrate with their culture to such a degree that you value what they value and you start using their words and values to make your decisions. Do not invoke what they consider important to just try to get along with them. For example, in the old ancient world, you would walk in and realize that to them, the god Baal was important. So you would say things in business They'd go, well, are you sure you're going to come through? And you go, I swear by Baal that I will come through. Well, it all starts out with this idea to kind of tie in with the culture, right? And it's kind of like, well, I'm just going to speak your language, right? God's like, oh, no. No, we're not doing that. No, you do not use his name. That's not a real God. I'm the only God. Don't start playing games. Well, God, I don't really believe it. Then don't use it. If you don't believe it, don't operate in it. Because it's a slippery slope. You're slowly going to start intermingling. He moves on. He says, you must not serve them or bow down to them. What does that mean? It means taking and putting them in priority. Make it practical. America, what are our gods? All right. Now, to what degree are you integrating with that? I would say that the modern day American church is so fully integrated, it's very difficult to tell the difference. 
between Christian and non-Christian. We all have the same stats, the same lifestyles, the same everything. To what degree have we been counterculture? Not very well. We integrate completely. We have bowed down to their gods. We have allowed them to dictate what's important in our lives. For example, money. That's the, in my mind, that's one of the number one gods in America. We have allowed money to dictate our happiness. We've allowed money or lack of money to dictate our futures. We've allowed money or not money to dictate our decisions. However, that was not at all the biblical mandate. That is the God of America. We have allowed all sorts of commercialism to move and alter how we go through society. He said, don't you dare bow down to their gods. Don't you dare make them in charge of you. You are different. You operate on a whole different stream of priority. But you are to hold fast to the Lord your God as you have until now. That doesn't just mean remain radical in counterculture. The word hold fast in Hebrew is the same word that is used in Genesis 2.24. Anybody remember what that says? It says this. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and they will become one flesh. Same word. But you are to fuse together with God and become one flesh. Whatever you think that means, whatever you picture that to mean in your mind between a husband and wife creating one new entity out of the two, in whatever way those two come together, it's the same word. Fuse together with God. Meld together with God. Hold fast to God. Become one with Him. The Lord has driven out before you great and powerful nations. To this day, no one has been able to withstand you. One of you routes a thousand because the Lord your God fights for you just as he promised. So, be very careful to love the Lord your God. In other words, he's been a fantastic husband. He has provided for you. He has protected you. He has your future in his hands. Now, adhere to him. Be loyal to him. Be faithful and loving. Verse 12, but, uh uh-oh, this is where everything turns. But if you turn away and ally yourselves, guess what the word ally is in Hebrew? Same word. If you fuse together with the survivors of these nations that remain among you, and if you intermarry with them and associate with them, then you may be sure that the Lord your God will no longer drive out these nations before you. God, power gone. Right? If you fuse with them and become one with them and completely integrate with them, then you have cheated on God. And at that point, God will go, you know what? Fine, that's what you've selected. You choose them, not me. I get it. I'm going to go ahead and hang out over here. Then you may be sure that the Lord your God will no longer drive out the nations before you. Instead, they will become snares and traps for you, whips on your backs, thorns in your eyes, until you perish from this good land which the Lord your God has given you. If you turn away from me, there's going to be a world of hurt because I'm not protecting you anymore. 
Now I'm about to go the way of all the earth. That means I'm about to kick it. You know with all your heart and soul, Joshua said, that not one of you, not one of all the good promises the Lord gave you has failed. Every promise has been fulfilled. Not one has failed. Faithful is kind of a key theme here. But just as every good promise of the Lord your God has come true, so the Lord will bring on you the evil he has threatened until he's destroyed you from the good land he has given you. What does that mean? It means faithfulness works both ways. God's good to his word, no matter what he says. If he says, warning, don't do this or I'll wipe you out, he's going to follow through because he's faithful. If he says, I will take you home and protect you, that he will take you home and protect you, and there will not be any movement. He will do what he says. And Joshua said, great, everyone likes to look at all the good stuff. Do you realize that God is faithful to everything he says? If you violate the covenant of the Lord your God, which he commanded you, and you go and serve other gods and bow down to them, the Lord's anger will burn against you, and you will quickly perish from the good land he has given you. Did he mean that? As a matter of fact, this happens really fast. Now, it happens completely 800 years later. In 586 B.C., the Babylonian Empire sweeps through and completely annihilates and obliterates Israel from their land for this very reason. They do not get their own land back until a very recent date called 1948. This is a huge deal. This is the hinge point for the nation of Israel. Now, one thing I have to clarify, lest any of you leave and go, oh my gosh, I didn't do something right, God's going to curse me. Okay, hold on. Old covenant, new covenant, different. That's why one's called old and one's called new. Old covenant was with Israel. And the Old Covenant worked like this. Remember, in the Old Covenant, it was only Israel. If you wanted to be part of doing things with God, then largely you would come into the Israelite nation and follow according to those rules. The Old Covenant was a blessing and curse contract. A covenant is a contract. It says, I'm going to do this, you're going to do this. That's how it's going to work. So like, for example, if you sign a work order for someone to do work at your house, you're contracting them to say, I will pay you money, you're going to do this job. That's a contract. Same thing with God. He said, here's the contract. I'm laying it out. You don't get a chance to change it. You either sign it or you don't sign it. I will bless you if you do what I say. If you do not do what I say, I will curse you. Are we all clear? That's the old covenant. And so, sure enough, it was tied to behavior very closely. If they would tithe... Remember, that was mandated. If they would, what, obey him and not do these certain things and do these certain things and all the law, God says, no problem, I will bless you. And that unfortunately has led to a lot of people getting and buying into this whole prosperity message thing. This whole, if I do this, God's going to give me back a whole bunch of stuff. Bogus. That's old school. Wrong covenant. So they would do things for God and God would bless their nation. He would even say stuff like, I will make sure your cattle are healthy. I'll bless your crops. I will do all sorts of things. Just stick with me and we can go places. When Jesus showed up, that's why the last supper thing was such a big deal. That's why communion was such a big deal. Why? 
Because he said, this is a new covenant in my blood. The old has passed away. Remember? Now there's a whole new covenant of grace and mercy. Now there's a covenant where God indwells man. And as Christians or as people give up their lives to the Lord and surrender to him, he comes into their lives, operates through them, sees them through the highs and the lows, extends grace to them because Jesus died for their sins. And now we're under a dramatically different covenant. Now, for some of you that are like neat little categories, you would have liked the old one, right? It's kind of like, oh, great. I could just do this and then I could get more stuff. Just remember this. There's a flip side to that. And if you blow it, bye-bye. In this new covenant, totally different way of doing it. There is no longer a specific tie-in to every behavior that you do. Now, that does not mean that God suddenly doesn't care about what he used to care about. God still cares about the stuff that he cared about before. Just because he's extending grace to you doesn't change his heart, right? He still cares about the same things. Let's pick it up. Chapter 24, verse 1. Then, and we don't know how long there's a gap between 23 and 24. It could be 10 years. We now know that we're at least 10 years later in the story. Because Joshua's going to grab everybody and have a big party again. All right? Then, Joshua assembled all the tribes of Israel, meaning representatives, and he met them at Shechem. Okay, why is Shechem a big deal? Shechem is a big deal because the Ark of the Covenant and the tabernacle is where shiloh it's in a different place and almost always if you're going to do something before god you do it before the ark of the covenant so maybe he moved it to shechem for this day but he changed the site their headquarters is in shiloh early on the headquarters were at gilgal they moved it to shiloh and eventually they're going to move it to jerusalem and stay there but for right now it's in shiloh so what in the world are we doing in shechem Joshua is creating an atmosphere to talk about faithfulness. Here's why. Shechem was the location that Abraham, the father of all the Jewish people, first got the word from God that he was going to have a promised land and a promised people and be a mighty nation. It was that walk through that territory. It was at Shechem that God said, let me tell you the future. Kid, I'm going to do things with you. He goes back to where it all started and has the Israel leaders come together. It was the same place that Jacob, remember Jacob had 12 sons that became the nations. Their father, Jacob, it was that place where he renewed a covenant with God and got rid of all the old idols and focused on the Lord with his family. This is a place of faithfulness. So he assembles them back. It's the same location that when they were coming through the promised land at the beginning, he had half the nation stand on Mount Ebal, half the nation stand on Mount Gerizim, and they chanted out the blessings and curses of the Mosaic law. And they committed to God. This is a place of commitment, a place of faithfulness. So God, so Joshua grabs all the leaders, says, let's go back to Shechem, where it all started. Because we need to have a talk. 
And that's where the rest of the story takes place. It says this. He summoned the elders, leaders, judges, and officials of Israel. And they presented themselves before God. Joshua said to all the people, this is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. And then he launches into a history lesson. Long ago. How long? About nine generations ago. Your forefathers, including Terah, the father of Abraham and Nahor, lived beyond the river, meaning Euphrates, and worshipped other gods. Pause. Y'all realize that Abraham grew up polytheistic, believed in multiple gods. That's really weird for a lot of people, that the father of the whole Jewish nation grew up in a polytheistic household. Doesn't that speak to God's nature? Isn't that how God always does it? He can grab you out of any background. He can grab you out of any household and turn and go, you know what? This is what we're going to do. Yeah, but my parent, who cares what your parents did? This is what we're doing. Oh, we're breaking that chain. We're not doing that anymore. We're doing this. It moves on. It says, but I took your father, Abraham, God said, from the land beyond the Euphrates River and led him through Canaan. And gave him many descendants. I gave him Isaac, his son. To Isaac I gave Jacob and Esau, the brothers. And I assigned the hill country of Seir to Esau, that's in the south. But to Jacob and his sons, they went down to Egypt. That's the whole Joseph story. Then, approximately 400 years later, I sent Moses and Aaron. And I afflicted the Egyptians by what I did there. That's the story of the ten plagues. And I brought you out. The Exodus. When I brought your fathers out of Egypt, you came to the Red Sea, and the Egyptians pursued them with chariots and horsemen as far as the Red Sea. But they, the Israelites, cried to the Lord for help, and he put darkness. He did a miracle. He put darkness between you and the Egyptians. He brought the sea over the Egyptians, covered them, and you saw with your own eyes what I did to the Egyptians. Pause. Only a few of them are still alive that saw that. Most of them are like, yeah, no, I wasn't there. He's like, you know what I mean? Collectively as a people, you were there. Oh, okay. Then you lived in the desert for a long time. How long? About 38 years. I brought you out of the land. I brought you to the land of the Amorites. That's where they are. Who lived east of the Jordan. They fought against you, but I gave them into your hands. I destroyed them from before you and you took possession of the land. When Balak... Son of Zippor, the king of Moab, prepared to fight against Israel. He sent for Balaam, son of Beor. Who's that? The talking donkey guy. To put a curse on you. But I wouldn't listen to Balaam. So he blessed you again and again, and I delivered you out of his hand. Then you crossed the Jordan, came to Jericho. The citizens of Jericho fought against you, as did, and he mentioned seven nations for completeness. The Amorites, Perizzites, Canaanites, Hittites, Girgashites, Hivites, and Jebusites. But I gave them into your hands. I sent the hornet ahead of you, which drove them out before you. And also the two Amorite kings. What's the hornet? I really don't think it's just a big bee. I think it's a spirit of God going before him and shoving people out and making them freak out and react to the fight and God winning the victory. You did not do it with your own sword or bow. That's the point. God did it. So I gave you a land on which you did not toil, cities you did not build. And you live in them and eat from the vineyards and olive groves that you did not plant. In other words, I, as a husband, have been awesome. 
I did everything. I provided everything for you. And now here you are with rest in a great land. And he uses the personal pronoun I in this section 18 times. He wants everyone to know I've been faithful. I've been faithful. I've been faithful because he's about to turn the tables. Now, fear the Lord. What does that mean? It means respect him. Why? Because he's big and dangerous. But if he's your dad, then let the enemies beware. Yeah? Fear the Lord and serve him, meaning obey him in all things. That word serve is used 15 times in this section. In the year of servanthood, you know why we're studying this book? Serve him with all faithfulness, deep within and with devotion. Throw away the gods your forefathers, worship beyond the Euphrates River and in Egypt, and serve the Lord. Clearly, they still have gods around. Why? Anybody have stuff in your past still hanging around, baggage? Right? It's, it's kind of like my parents have always done this. I kind of carried this garbage forward. I'm hanging on to it. You know what? It needs to get cleaned out. There's the bottom line. Oh, boy. oh my family's always done it this way. Well... Just because your family's been stupid does not mean you need to be stupid. Change. This, oh, well, this is just who we are. This is our collective identity. If it's a bad identity, change it. No, we're not going to live like this. Throw out the garbage of your past. Renew it. Put in what God wants in there. Well, my family's always been kind of, they're all workaholics. They're all been addicted to business. That's just who we are. No. It's not. You're God's. That changes everything. You've been adopted and born brand new into him. You're not a workaholic. You're doing something different now. Do you understand that for so many of us, the garbage of our past is still lingering while we walk with God? And it has to be rooted out. It says... Throw away the gods your forefathers worship beyond the river and in Egypt and serve the Lord. Then verse 15 is where it starts getting famous. But if serving the Lord seems undesirable to you, meaning if he's not the husband you want and he hasn't been good to you and he hasn't provided for you and he hasn't protected you and he hasn't cherished you and made you priority, if indeed God is not good, then choose for yourselves this day whom you will serve because you're going to serve somebody. Who are you going to serve? Is it the good husband guy? Are you going to try to trade up? Whether the gods your forefathers served beyond the river or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you are living. But as for me and my household, we will serve the Lord. That's a very cool verse. He says, I don't know what you're going to do. I have no idea. I'm not going to make your decision for you. Because quite frankly, if you don't own it, doesn't matter. I can make you do all kinds of stuff. This literally is the message you're handing to your kids. Kids, I've trained you in what I have. I give you what I have. I've loved you. I've demonstrated. Live by example. I've prayed for you. We'll continue to pray for you. So choose this day God to be your God. But if that does not seem right to you, you're going to choose someone. But I need you to know this, kids. As for your dad, mom and dad, 
we always serve the Lord. What amazing leadership for him to stand up and do this and go, I don't care what the rest of you do right now, honestly. I know where I'm at, and I'm going to stand strong for God. And if all of you turn on me, doesn't matter to me. There's nowhere else I'm going to go. It's interesting because check out where it goes. Verse 16. This is great. Then the people answered, right? Because you kind of go, what did they say? Here goes Joshua. He pours his heart out, right? Killer leadership, great preaching. How did it go? Then all the people answered, far be it from us to forsake the Lord to serve other gods. It was the Lord our God himself who brought us and our fathers up out of Egypt from the land of slavery and performed those great signs before our eyes. He protected us on our entire journey and among all the nations through which we traveled. And the Lord drove out before us all the nations, including the Amorites who lived in the land. We too will serve the Lord because he's our God. Yeah, everybody's all excited. And this is like every preacher's dream, right? You're sitting there talking to all the big dogs. They're all going to influence their people. And everyone's chanting, yeah, we're all into God. This is awesome, right? And then Joshua pulls a lance. (laughs) this would have been the best altar call ever (laughs) look at verse 19 and joshua said to the people you're not able to serve the lord you're like what (laughs) all right total buzzkill right everyone's like yay god and he's like you can't handle the truth (laughs) and they're like dude i thought you were just asking i thought we were yeah no what the what are we doing what do we, yeah, we're supposed to say yes. That's the answer. Jesus is always the answer to the Bible questions. Come on. Right? Completely turns everything upside down. He's like, no, you can't. You're like, I thought I was supposed to. He is a holy God. That means he is other. He is perfect. He is righteous. He is demanding. He's thinking all this stuff that you're all, yeah, I'm into God. You don't get it. You don't even understand what you're talking about. Don't you see who he is? Don't you see his character and his nature? No. He is a holy God. He is a jealous God. That means he's zealous and passionate, and he will not share you with any other. Don't you understand what that means? I don't think you guys get it. He will not forgive your rebellion and your sins, meaning if you're unfaithful to him, he's not just going to say, that's cool. Do you understand what you're signing up for? Do you even know what it is to serve God? If you forsake the Lord and serve foreign gods, he will turn and bring disaster on you. He will make an end of you, even after he's been good to you. Now all of a sudden it gets quiet again, right? What's going to happen? But the people said to Joshua, no, we will serve the Lord. Right on. Now they're in. Joshua said, you are witnesses against yourselves that you have chosen to serve the Lord. Yeah, we're witnesses, they said. Now then, said Joshua, throw away the foreign gods that are among you. Yield your hearts to the Lord, the God of Israel. And the people said to Joshua, we will serve the Lord our God and obey him. So that day, Joshua made a covenant for the people. And there at Shechem, he drew up for them decrees and laws. And Joshua recorded these things in the book of the law of God. And he took a large stone and set it up there under the oak near the holy place of God. See, he said to the people, this stone will be a witness against us. It has heard all the words the Lord has said to us. It will be a witness against you if you are untrue to your God. Then Joshua sent the people away, each to his own inheritance. And after these things, Joshua, son of Nun, the servant of the Lord, died at the age of 110. 
And they buried him in the land of his inheritance at Timnath Sarah, in the hill country of Ephraim, north of Mount Gaish. Israel served the Lord throughout the lifetime of Joshua and of the elders who outlived him and experienced everything the Lord had done for Israel. And Joseph's bones, which the Israelites had brought up from Egypt, were buried at Shechem in the tract of land that Jacob bought for a hundred pieces of silver for the sons of Hamor, the father of Shechem. Pause. That's weird. Creepy. You've been carrying bones around for 400 years. Right? Whose job was that? Who had that luggage? All right, who's got Joseph? Everybody got Joseph? Are we good? All right, cool. Let's keep moving. This became the inheritance of Joseph's descendants, and Eleazar, son of Aaron, died and was buried at Gibeah, which had been allotted to his son Phineas in the hill country of Ephraim. And a brilliant generation passed away. So how'd it go? Right? What's, what's the after story? Judges chapter 2. They all turned away to other gods and everything fell apart. The next generation. Man, what a drag. They were so fired up. But it didn't transfer to their kids. Now, they were all in. But it didn't last long. Joshua gave the people an opportunity to commit and be faithful. I give you that opportunity now. As we close in prayer, if you believe that for you personally, your household of your heart, you stand with God and you are devoted to God and you are Christian and you will remain Christian till your dying day. And I understand I'm asking what? For commitment in the most noncommittal nation in the world amongst the most noncommittal generations of the world, and nobody wants to agree to anything. I don't know. We'll see how it goes. No, you won't. As we close in prayer, I want those that stand for God, honestly, to stand for God physically right now. Stand with me. Heavenly Father, Those of us that have stood, commit our lives afresh to you. We are devoted to you. We are strong. We will remain tied with you. That, Lord, though many would come and though many temptations would sweep across us, there is nowhere else we can go. There is no one else with the words of life. There's no other Savior that showed up. There's no one else that can rescue us. That you alone are God. We will not fall prey to bow down to the gods of America to the gods of this world. We will not allow them to dictate our futures, but we reside and live in you alone. That you are our one true God, the only God that exists, and we give our lives to you wholly and completely. May you be glorified this day. Would the rest of you stand with us as we close? Amen.